Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. If you blinked, you would have missed Marco Casper making his NHL debut. At least we got it. Did he play any games that we could, you know, surmise? Yeah, I, I, the Toronto game was good. Like, I, I think we got a lot from that. But it was one game. And it's the right call. He's hurt. Shut him down. Make sure he's ready. I don't know what this means for the World Championships in the offseason, but you, you, there's no need to, to push Agreed. on an injury for an end of season. That means less than nothing for the Red Wings, but it is still... It, it, what did you say, Brad? We can't have uh, a single nice thing for two weeks? Yeah, it's like, can we just go have fun for two weeks in a row? No, absolutely not. And shame on you for even thinking about that. The only benefit of this is so many Red Wings are getting hurt. The fact that we're in the building on Saturday, there's a non-zero chance we suit up. Yeah. If you sit in the lower bowl, you could be pulled onto the bench. Yeah. You want to be Adam Ernie centerman tonight? <laughs> Come on down. Oh my God. Well, folks, uh, we're just a few days away from uh, being at the LCA. Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA is Saturday, April 8th, and we have some news about that uh, but for now, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, some drama going on, uh, prospects, and more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be uh, giving you an update on Detroit's two most recent games, uh, one of which was played by, uh, or uh, Marco Casper played in for his NHL debut. Uh, both of them were wins against Canadian teams, which always feels good. And uh, we'll give you some updates on the Red Wings, Casper's being shut down for the year after that single game. Uh, Sebastian Cosa has some more accolades to his name. We'll talk about Alexander Doucette a little bit. We have a prospect profile for you, some NHL news, and whatever else we get to before overtime. Before that, I want to let you know, for all of you 500 ticket holders to Wing Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA, the order of events goes like this. Uh, 11.30 doors open to the LCA uh, pregame. The game is at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we'll be there. We'll have a table in the concourse. We'll tweet out the location at uh, on the day of. It's a Winged Wheel Podcast table. We'll have merch and giveaways for everyone to grab, whether or not you're a ticket holder for Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA. We'll all watch the game together. And then post-game in the Budweiser Beer Garden, which is attached to the arena, uh, any ticket holders to the event enter. You'll have your ticket scanned. That's where you're going to get your special edition Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast co-branded hat. Uh, I nearly fall over every time I see that. It is probably the coolest thing that's ever happened to us. Makes me sick. Yeah. But in a good way, but yeah. also like as uh, feels. Makes me sick. Yeah. Uh, that's where you get your hat. We're going to have a meet and greet, uh, mix and mingle. And uh, also that's where we're going to be recording a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. There's going to be a cash bar available for some more refreshments. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. The indoor and outdoor space will be available. There will be speakers pushing sound throughout. So even if you aren't, you know, directly in front of us or you're outside, fingers crossed, knock on wood, the weather is looking nice. Uh, you'll be able to hear us and enjoy the show. Uh, and that is going to happen post game. We're looking at around four to six. Beyond that, because we do traditionally do like a, a, a pregame show and then a postgame get together at Harry's, because everything is postgame this time, we don't have anything formally planned. It is opening weekend for the Tigers in Detroit, so it's already going to be bustling. So uh, we'll probably congregate somewhere, but stay tuned on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod if, uh, 
if we find a secondary location and uh, we'll let you know about that. But for now, if you're a ticket holder, Budweiser Beer Garden post game, and for all of you who want to come say hi, we'll be in the LCA concourse at doors open at 1130 on Saturday, April 8th. Uh, and for those of you who don't know and are interested in what we're talking about, Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA is a partnered event between uh, us, the Winged Wheel Podcast, and the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live podcast. We all watch the game together. We sit in uh, Winged Wheel Podcast sections, and most importantly, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, Ken Daniels, of course, will be at our live recording. Speaking of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, Thursday, April 13th, 6.15 p.m. at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, uh, Comedy Night of Hope. Uh, to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation, get your tickets, jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Uh, special thanks to Cranks Catering for sponsoring the event and providing uh, a wonderful dinner. Uh, it's a great show, a lot of laughs, uh, really, really encourages you, encourage you to make it out there. And again, it supports a, a great cause. You guys ready? Fourth time doing this. Can you believe that? It's crazy. Well, third for you. And we'll see if you actually, you know, one of my friends actually texted me. I got a little bit of congestion going on. You're going to hear it throughout the episode. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, it all depends sort of how, how Tiger's doing uh, the first couple days of if, the Masters. If Tiger's leading through two days. I'm not coming. I guarantee you. <laughs> I won't be there. Brad and I are going to have to drive to Evan's house. And we do have your address because you made a mistake by giving it to us. And we'll have to grab each of you, each of us grab an ear and drag you into our car. I will no, I'll have no critical analysis of that game at all. So uh, Evan's obviously talking about the Masters, but we are genuinely lo- really looking forward to it and uh, excited to see you all there. All right. The Red Wings. Beat the Leafs, beat the Habs. I don't care, tanking or not, it is fun to see the Leafs fans uh, pissed off. It was a little bit sad after the Habs game. That You want to see a tanking team, that team is tanking. Well, we, we've been there. Yes. We... I'm not going to rip on Habs fans because I fully understand. Oh, absolutely. Someone on YouTube ha- summed it up so nicely. They said, um, we've had a lot of games this year where we say, look how far we still need to go. But the game against Montreal was sort of a look how far we've come Oh yeah, type game. And uh, yeah, I thought that's sort of summed it up quite well because <laughs> woof. Let's talk about the Toronto game first. Uh First and foremost, let's let's address what everyone wants to hear about. Marco Casper's NHL debut. We recorded right before the game, the puck drop, uh, as the game happened on Sunday. Uh, but let's talk about the actual game as it happened. Marco Casper, you know, started playing with Raymond and and Cop, and uh, you know, Derek Lalonde and Steve Eisman jumped right in the water with him. What was your analysis of his performance? He held his own. I, I wouldn't say he did anything spectacular for the game. He was fairly uh, unnoticeable outside of one event, which we will talk about. Yep. Um, but for a NHL debut against a team like the Leafs playing on the second line and you know the team they were playing against, I take not really noticing him a ton as a huge positive because it means he, he wasn't out of place. He wasn't getting caved. He wasn't getting walked. You, he didn't look like he was a step behind everybody else on the ice. And, you know, being a step behind the Leafs wouldn't be the biggest shame in the world, given some of the talent they have, even though they weren't all playing. But but he he looked like he fit right in. So, you know, outside of one event, I don't think there was a ton to write home about, but that should be taken as a positive. Yeah, I, I don't want to say he was unnoticeable. Like, he wasn't a ghost, 
this is all qualified with the fact that we were all paying attention pretty closely. Oh, yeah. Him. Every time he was on the ice, I was acutely aware of it, but yeah. in the grand scheme of things. And I do think he made a couple really impressive plays that didn't lead to anything, but he was in the right spot. You could definitely see the kind of, he's if the puck is anywhere near the net, that guy is barreling to the net and he does not give a shit who's in the way kind of player, which was good. There's a point shot, I can't remember from who, maybe Olimata, uh, where Casper, it, it kind of floated through and... If it wasn't cleared off the line, really, really uh, clutched by the defenseman, and then I think Samsonov got it after, uh, Kasper would have been there to bank it in. So, again, we're talking about plays that led to nothing, but you could see him doing the right things as a pro. Uh, But, yeah, in my mind, it was a typical, yep, that was a good start first game for a rookie. He, we'll talk about the scrum in a minute, but he did what he had to do wasn't uh, uh didn't blow anyone out of the water like wasn't first start of the night but didn't look out of place it 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 was standard fair and that's i think a really really good outcome for a first game for marco casper when you look at him you can see like that this kid's 18 years old like, yes such- i've never <laughs> felt so old in my life oh man well i mean when i could try to get out of bed in the morning i feel old but yeah he <laughs> he has such a baby face he has a baby face for sure we're going to say this every year as every new Red Wings prospect comes in. It's only going to get worse. The How has this podcast grown? Uh, we just really reckon with our own mortality a little bit more every season. Yeah. Without realizing yeah. it. There was a couple shifts uh, that game where Moritz Sider was the second oldest player on the ice. That's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, any additional thoughts on Casper's uh, game? No, I think I agree with, with both of you, what you guys said, like, wasn't a liability at all, and Toronto wasn't able to really exploit the fact that we have a first-time, first-game rookie stepping into the lineup. So, you know what? In terms of, you know, a grading Marco Casper's first game, I think it really couldn't have gone much better other than, you know, just no one's going to torch the Leafs. Like, no one's... But the so Leafs are good at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the playoffs game seven, yeah. But I mean, like how many guys come into their first game and just light the world on fire? Not that many. So the fact that he's already played a full season, it's his first time in North America, like really, you know, can't be upset about anything in that game. So there was a scrum that happened. Casper uh, was on a rush and basically followed the play behind the net. Uh, he was there with Lilligren, and uh, I don't know if who started it, but Casper certainly escalated it and gave Lilligren a shot. And very much it was, oh, this guy does not take any shit. Like he absolutely is happy to mix it up, even as an eight baby face eighteen year old who's underweight, doesn't have you know pro level muscle to his uh, his frame yet. Did not care. Was throwing it like in the mix in that scrum, and then who comes in other than Mo Sider and Simon Edvinson, who were I think in the middle of a, a line change, and so they were on the ice together. And then Casper's teammates, one of them being Lucas Raymond. So that's the entire future core of the Red Wings. The last four first-round picks. Yeah, somewhere from the stand, Sebastian Cosa was running in, diving over the glass. Last four. I shouldn't say first-round picks. Last four first, first picks. Yes. And then you have Andrew Kopp there, like, hello, fellow teens. Like, <laughs> but that was... The chaperone. He's the chaperone. <laughs> it was... Immediately, every Red Wings fan was watching, like, and just got filled with joy. Meanwhile, Leafs fans are like objectively looking at the situation, like, "Oh, he should have got a penalty for this scrum or like Bunting's misconduct, or whatever." And every Red Wings fan was like, "Sweet, fight with the kids! This is awesome!" 
And then uh, Bunting, who was already being Michael Bunting, and I have some thoughts about the way he plays in a, a little bit here. He was uh, skating away and happened to, he knew what he was doing, just drag, I think it was Sider or Edvinson's stick in his feet just to get him more riled up. And then Edvinson and Sider skating towards him, wanting a piece of him. I'm like, that's like 19 feet of defenseman <laughs> who wants to kill you right now. Like that has to be horrifying to see. Hey, if we give uh, Marco Casper credit for, you know, not not picking his spots and just, you know, taking on whatever's in front of him. Yeah, uh, Michael Bunting, if you're going to step in front of any two Red Wings, I don't care how young those are. Those probably aren't the two to do it with. No. I was explaining to Mel the other day how much, like, uh, why uh, weight divisions exist in, in combat sports. And reach advantage is also a huge thing. Yeah. Like even if Edvinson isn't that that strong, like <laughs> he could be in the parking lot and still grab you by your by your collar. Didn't Edvinson train in mix, mixed martial arts? Yeah, he told Daniela Brusset and and I think I actually Woodward, yeah. remember seeing a clip of it leading into the draft. I'm just saying the ref should have let him go. I wonder if Michael Bunting knew that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about that quickly? Michael, I would love to talk about that. Michael Bunting. Uh, Got a he he gave Jake Wallman a pretty you know hard hit along the boards and on the edge but fair clean hit nothing wrong with it. Uh, Wallman came back and gave him a cross check from behind and it was a cross check. Bunting fell. I don't think he ex- uh, he uh, exaggerated how he fell. I'm sure he he wasn't like trying to brace. He just got knocked forward. And then the Wallman did that lean over it with like the additional shove kind of thing. That's when you cross check a guy. That's often the follow up. And then Bunting did the, you know, three-act play flail forward, and that's where he got his embellishment. It's like he already drew the minor. Now you're going to tag yourself with the embellishment call. And it was the second, you know, cross-check, the second fall that, that got it for him. That was fair. They called it clean. That guy, and it, I've seen this said a lot, and I never really paid attention to it, but holy shit, he does not stop yapping to the refs. He is, I understand he's trying to play the role of the pest, but you look at the difference between him and Kachuk or him and Marshan, like they they direct their tomfoolery towards the other team, and they know that ultimately they need the refs on their side. Why are you going out there and antagonizing the refs? Like he does not shut up. Doesn't earn you any favors. How has Toronto? I, I'm sure they have actually done it. But if I'm the captain or uh, the coach or any of the coaches on Toronto, grabbing him by the shoulders and saying, "Michael, shut up." Shut up. Other teams will eat that, eat him alive on that in the playoffs. Like everybody knows that it, he just becomes unstable when things don't go the way he he thinks that they should. So teams will eat that up. And he does draw a lot of penalties. Like he's good at that part of it, but he doesn't know when to stop. Like you actually had a really good explanation for it, Brad. But appreciate. I'll leave you to. Well, before I get to my point, just to kind of, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I was listening to um, a Toronto uh, media personality talk about it today. And last season, Michael Bunting was either first or second in the NHL and penalty drawn differential. Mm. So how many penalties he's drawn versus taken? He was near the top of the league. He's only got a plus three difference this year because the refs are sick of it. Sick of it. He's not getting the benefit of the doubt. He's not getting the favorable calls because... Either they think he was diving, which is why he got such a differential last year, or they're, yeah, sick of the yapping. You don't know what. The the Leafs personality that I was listening to is also talking about how this happened to Nazem Kadri early in his career, 
where the refs got sick of it and the same thing happened to the point where like the Leafs coaches had to speak up and go like, listen, we get it. We have a, he has a rep, but he's getting tackled out there. You have to call something. Um, so something similar is happening to bunting and it's, it's his own fault, whatever the reason may be. Yeah. Like I agree when, when a guy gets a reputation, refs are human and you can see it play out and it's objectively not fair, but the refs are going to continue to be human. So rather than bit like whine about it, you have to get the guy to, to, to dial it back because Michael bunting is trying to play the agitator role. He's trying to play the Brad Marchand, Brady Kachuk role. And I I say this, honestly, he sucks at it. He's terrible at it because again, and we've talked about Brad Marchand at length on this podcast and I'll repeat it again. I respect the hell out of Brad Marchand for how much he leans into his bullshit and how much he owns up and accepts it. And in a lot of cases has fun with it. My favorite annoying Brad by far. He, he knows what he's doing. His team knows what he's doing. The refs know what he's doing. And the other team knows what he's doing and everybody accepts it for what it is because he'll run around, do the bullshit. He'll yap to the other team. The ref will give him his penalty and he'll go, yep, skate to the box. Another team challenges him to a fight. Yep. No problem. Let's go. He knows what he's doing because he wants to escalate the other team's anger level to a very significant level to throw them off their game. And he remains way down here, calm, cool, collected, having fun. Mm -hmm. That is the point of the agitator role. You are trying to rile up and piss off the other team. Bunting tries to do the exact same shit and he succeeds in getting the other team very pissed off and riled up. And then Bunting himself goes to an even higher level than that. He can't keep himself in check. So the whole accomplishment of getting his opponent, getting under their skin is completely offset by he seems to be angrier by the situation than everybody else on the ice. (laughs) And then he starts speaking to the refs about it. He starts whining. He ends up taking the penalty. He does everything right to get to the point and then just completely cancels it out himself. It's just stupid. Like, I understand the agitator role. It's an effective role if you're good at hockey. And, you know, Michael Bunting's at least good enough to play on the Leafs' top line. So, you know, he can do it. And he just... It's funny to watch because he initiates everything and then gets angry with how it goes. He could be do he could be way more effective. He's a, he is an effective player. He could be way more effective if he just gets that that closing out portion of what it takes to be an agitator that you just described. Yeah, when Brad Marchand gets punched in the face in a scrum, you know what he generally does? Smiles. Laughs. Yeah. <laughs> got you now. Yeah. And usually he'll look over at the ref. Oh, yeah, they got that penalty and then, you yeah. know, whatever. And then Bunting the, the, is immediately like firing obscenities at the ref. And like, there have been a lot of points made with, uh, within Toronto media, Toronto fandom, where they're like, this is a problem. Like this guy actually isn't getting fair calls. Like you described Brad. And I say again, I don't think they're necessarily wrong, but I think this is a futile effort to ask the refs to do anything else when this guy just does not stop yapping at them. Like he needs to change the way he goes. Otherwise he is going to be a liability in the playoffs. And speaking of which Toronto's goaltending that game, woof. I want to say I hope Matt Murray's okay. He was out day to day. Lucas Raymond uh, blew a tire and and took out Matt Murray from behind, and he uh, hit his head off the ice. It wasn't in- intentional by Raymond, but obviously, like, Athens sucks. Uh, Matt Murray has a hard time staying healthy, and that that's not his fault at all. No. Um, so I, I understand it was accidental. I'm surprised there wasn't a penalty on that play. Yeah, I mean, you still took out the goalie. Yeah. Like, no complaints here. You have to be responsible for your own stick. It's not like they were both skating the same path. Like, Matt Murray was just standing in his crease. Like, Raymond has to be responsible for staying on his skates. Anyhow, 
Uh, Murray left the game and Samsonov came in. They both weren't particularly good. Olimata started the game uh, was as with a breakaway, <laughs> which naturally, yep, uh, breakaway goal. Olimata offensive dynamo, and then Jonathan Bergren, um with his. It was a from range shot. I think it was a stoppable shot, but still a good one. Made it two one. Dylan Larkin, similar, I think a stoppable shot, but a good one, made it uh, 3-1. Tavares did get a power play goal to bring it within 3-2, and then Larkin actually got two more. One of them banked off of him, and Brad, you made a funny joke about him being in the Tigers' batting order. That cracked me up. Oh, yeah, because he, well, Tigers are the Tigers, and he whacked that thing out of the air and, and got good wood on it and put it in the net. Like, that at least puts him six, seventh on the batting order for the Tigers right now. He needs something to do in the spring. <laughs> That was part of why he got a uh, hefty contract. Like, hey, you're going to flip to the other side of Illich Companies. You're going to play for the Tigers now. <laughs> and then Larkin got the empty netter with his family in the stands with his Nana, which was nice. Uh, got the hat trick. And that brought him back up to a point per game, I believe. Uh, player Hell of yeah. the year. Yeah. So all in all, uh, you'll take a uh, a 5-2 win for the Red Wings over the Leafs. Understanding where the Leafs are and in a playoff position and the Red Wings aren't. Uh, it's never a bad time to beat the Leafs, tank or not. Nothing like throwing another stone of doubt into the pond. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure the Leafs themselves don't care at all, but it's just one for the fans. It's just one more in that in the memory bank. Oh no, the city of Toronto cares a lot after that game. They since the bunting incident, they have been melting down. Have you yeah. seen all the articles and everything yeah. going up about uh, the bunting incident and the bunting penalty differential and the are the Leafs getting screwed by the rat like? It's truly a sight to behold. This is why certain pockets of fandom and media in Toronto have a reputation. Because how are how is this what you're talking about before the most important playoff series in your team's modern era? <laughs> I don't know. I wonder what Steve Simmons is up to this week. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out. Uh, Takeaway from that game, Simon Edvinson played just about leading, if not tie, or just uh, close to second place for most uh, time on ice for the wings across all players. Uh, yeah, because he was the most tenured Grand Rapids Griffin defenseman playing that game. Yeah, I understand why, you know, at this point in the season, Edvinson is playing so much and dealing with injury and they don't exactly have a full complement of uh, top NHL defensemen, but Simon Edvinson playing 22-25, second most minutes of any other Red Wing on the ice in a game against Toronto in his first season, his fifth NHL game, I think that was, that's a good sign. It's a really good sign. He looks very comfortable out there. He's mm-hmm. still wish he'd play with a bit more pace, but he looks good. This is going to be, it's a good example. I like these little mini samples because you can see a lot of where players are at in terms of the type of game they play and their skill and the way their brain works. But conditioning and strength really really shows off the disparity between guys who are approaching the NHL and NHL regulars. Anyhow, that's uh, that's a win over the Leafs. And then the Habs, 5 nothing Red Wings win. That Didn't was, know they played that game in a museum. My goodness, that would that's probably the quietest 5 nothing Red Wings win I've ever seen in my life. Like that, if you need any indication of what losing does to a fan base, there is no more of a rabid, intense, like, a 100 out of 10 energy level fan base than the Montreal Canadiens fans in the Bell Center. And that place was quieter than a museum. Lissad. <laughs> Ever the poet. You went, right. you went from casting one more stone into the pond of doubt to Lissad. 
That's uh, what 10 years of French in uh, public school get you. Uh, thoughts on that when Lucas Raymond displayed a fantastic shot, David Perron with uh, two goals and an assist, Matt Luff, uh, Luff man. scored, and then Joe Valeno, who I think had a great game, uh, tipped in a Jake Wallman point shot, and Vili Huso got a, a shutout in his return to play. Who's a good boy? <laughs> <laughs> Do you hate us yet? Do you regret doing this podcast? <laughs> yeah, you know, funny, I didn't think it'd be April 5th, eight years after we started it, but it actually it is. It yeah. long, eh? Yeah. <laughs> this was the breaking point. Yeah, I just checked my notes and they say, get the hell out of my house, both of you. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, that game was great and awful. There was, <laughs> Montreal yeah. is so bad. It really was the look how far we've come realization to me because you know Red Wings have played a lot of good teams lately and it's just like you know they beat Toronto blah 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 and so a lot of the games is like we're so far away from Mm -hmm. anything and then you play teams like Montreal and it's helps provide a little bit of perspective yeah like you watch parts of that game and obviously the Perron breakaway was was a pretty good defensive breakdown he didn't score on it but the Andrew Kopp breakaway if you just watch the series of events that led to Andrew Kopp's breakaway, I'm not sure a junior B team does what Montreal did there. It was hilariously bad. Who, um, maybe it was the Andrew Kopp breakaway. There was a stretch pass from below the goal line. Was it Jordan that Osterley? That was Osterley to Perron. That was a for, great pass. Yeah, yeah. yeah that. He was also factored that in that. should not happen at the NHL level. No. Osterley had a good game. He also factored yeah. into the other uh, passing play that led to a goal. He was, uh, he looked good. Yeah. Yeah. He also ha- almost had his own goal that he just missed the net on when the Montreal defender literally passed a slow roller right through the high slot in his own zone that Osterley just kind of looked almost surprised was there for him. Yeah. If you want an idea of just how far away the Red Wings were from uh, being leaders in the Connor Bedard lottery this year, look how bad Montreal was. There are four teams below them in the standings right now. And don't forget that Detroit, you know, they're basically playing the Laval Rocket, but uh, Detroit was also fielding like six Grand Rapids Griffins from this year. So As they have been. It was, you know, a half AHL, half NHL game uh, equally. And oof. As I've, I said it last episode, I did that thing Evan hates and I tweeted out what I said on the episode after. I, I'm going to repeat it now. The Red Wings aren't doing anything other than what they should be doing end of season. I guess you could maybe say, oh, yeah, you should have shut down Huso for the season and just kept Ned up as an emergency call-up, played Helberg a little bit more. But they are fielding, they're icing quite a few AHLers any given night, and they're playing Edmondson and Casper. Like, other Toronto and Pittsburgh and whoever else these teams have every excuse to beat Detroit, and they didn't. Like, you can't ask the coach or the players to do anything other than go out there and compete. That's literally their job. They're paid to do it. And yes, it's disappointing to move further away from a higher draft pick. And if you want to go completely pie in the sky, the Connor Bedard lottery, but I, I don't know for me, it's, I can only be so frustrated. We've also been doing this for eight years and this is just the, how it goes every time Detroit makes a late season push, but it is what it is. Like maybe this is the year where we get the win over Montreal that solidifies our draft position that wins us the lottery. Maybe, yeah. Maybe we fall into that exact sweet spot this time. I've been hurt once. What's what's six more times? The hockey gods are rubbing their hands right now. Uh, that's uh, the Red Wings' couple of games. They have two more coming up uh, before the next time we talk. Thursday night, 
7 p.m. Eastern on April 6th against Buffalo, which is a, a key lottery standings game. Uh, maybe not actually. Buffalo is still make, in the wild card mix. If Buffalo beats Detroit, that is doubly good for Detroit because it pushes Detroit down the standings. Better draft pick, better lottery odds. But Buffalo could push the Islanders out, which would improve Detroit's other first round draft pick. And then Saturday, Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA, the Pittsburgh Penguins on the 8th. That's a 1 p.m. game, and it's the exact same story as Buffalo. These are two very impactful games. We, if you want to, if you like playing spoiler, these are two big games. And if you like draft picks, these are two big games. Yeah, Really, you can't be mad either way. That's right. And we'll be back with you on uh, Sunday. Uh, some more Red Wings news. Uh, like we mentioned at the top of the show, Marco Casper came into his NHL debut with a uh, injury that he had, was nursing from the SHL playoffs recently, and it's a lower body injury. They initially hoped to have him back after the Montreal game for like the Buffalo or Pittsburgh game maybe. Obviously, Marco Casper desperately wanted to play at Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA, but unfortunately, uh, it wasn't to be. They've shut him down for this season uh, to get him ready for for next year. This is Michael Bunting's fault. Did he do it? I don't know. But we'll, so we'll just blame him for everything. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, it's disappointing. I would have liked to have seen more from Marco Casper, especially because he had such a great first step in the NHL, but it, all this is, it's, it's taken away a bonus nice thing. It's, uh, it's more important for Casper to be... Not just ready for next offseason, it's important for him to be as healthy as soon as possible because he has some training to do and bulking up and and uh, conditioning to do ahead of next offseason. So, you know, this time for a rookie hoping to make the team at a training camp, like this is exactly when you want to be going balls to the wall to get ready. While you're 18 and your body's elastic and you can afford to grind for 12 straight months. That sounds terrible to me, but that's why I'm not in the NHL. And uh, additional Red Wings news in the world of prospects. Sebastian Kosa continues to thrive in the ECHL. His turn of performance uh, has been phenomenal, and he was na- uh, named the ECHL Goalie of the Month. Uh, his stat line, uh, he was 6-1-1 one one with a 1.73 goals against average, a 9.44 save percentage, and a shutout in that time. Kosa has been absolutely stellar for the Toledo Walleye. It's a continuation of what we've been saying, but this is this was the result you wanted to see from Kosa after he landed in the ECHL and kind of stuck there. The important thing is we still won the Mantha trade. So far. <laughs> Don't jinx it, because we've won the Mantha trade a couple times now. <laughs> it only needs to stick once. Yeah, that needle keeps moving. Uh, and then I want to talk about another prospect. Uh, the other night, Alexander Doucette, I think it was the last night actually, uh, he scored a natural hat trick in a span of uh, under 8 minutes and 30 seconds uh, for the Halifax Mooseheads uh, in the QMJHL. He has just been scoring and scoring and scoring in the Q and uh, for a recent Red Wings, he's a recent Red Wings un, um, undrafted signing. Uh, great sign to see. I wanted to add some context because we've had some questions come in via uh, uh, replies and DMs saying, why isn't this a bigger deal that this kid is scoring at this rate? Like, is this going to be, is he going to be a 30 goal scorer in the NHL? So let's, let's give a little bit of background as to what it means to be an overager in the QMJHL and, and how this might translate to the pro level. The overwhelmingly likely scenario is nothing. It will not translate. That is what happens uh, 99 out of 100 times with overage, high-scoring players in the Q, in the O, in the WHL. 
because obviously a 20, 21 year old in the CHL going up against a bunch of 16, 17, 18 year olds is going to have a significant advantage. And also if they've made it to that point in their junior hockey career without being drafted, generally speaking, there is a reason. Now this isn't to say it never works out. Uh, Joe Hicketts was an undrafted free agent who got a cup of tea in Detroit. And anytime you get an undrafted free agent who even makes the NHL at all, you're doing well there. Yanni Gord is probably the best example of an undrafted free agent to come out of the queue specifically and have a successful career. So it is possible. The key thing to remember here is Doucette is showing some very exciting signs and there is absolute reason for optimism. The odds are still stacked against him, but it doesn't matter because he was a free asset. The Red Wings did not need to... You give up anything in a trade to get him. They did not need to use a draft pick to get him. They just got him for a contract. Here's some money. You play for us now. And he went great. Yeah. The the defending in the QMJHL, the amount of times I watch those defense and I'm like, oh, they are not getting a Gatorade from the vending machine from their parents after that. Like no. that, some atrocious defending. And like you said, Brad, overager, high scoring league. It's not akin to like Evan playing me in like a, a skins match in, in golf during his men's league, but it would be close. <laughs> if you're, you know, you're playing younger guys and we haven't had this conversation yet and we'll, we probably will in the future. Uh, it's kind of why the QMJHL is looking to ban fighting is because you have like 21 year olds or sometimes 16, 17 year olds. Like there's a big physical difference between that. That said reasons for optimism. He's a high scoring player. Like he is succeeding in that league. He's a high scoring player and you never know. Guys are late bloomers. Like you mentioned, Brad, it's not a rule that you have to go by, and it does sometimes pan out. It's a free asset. It does not hurt to do, and it's certainly better than uh, a, you know using a pick on a guy who's not producing in a similar league. So there's no problem at all with it. I don't think you have any – if you're a Red Wings fan and you're excited by the kid, absolutely, go for it. Uh, but I would say temper expectations to if you're expecting this to be a guaranteed thing in the AHL or beyond. Yeah, what did Mantha score in the queue when he was like 17? He had 50 goals. So was, His draft plus one year, he was at literal goal per game in the regular season and playoffs. Yeah, so there you go. If Alexander Doucette turns into Anthony Mantha, that is a phenomenal signing. <laughs> is there a more frustrating Red Wing in recent history than Anthony Mantha? I'm sure there is. It definitely, thousand percent. Oh my god! Yeah. In terms of talent, like how much? Oh well. Let's Can not I say Jake about, Verona? Yeah, Zadina. Like, yeah, maybe that was a stupid question. Yeah. Hey, how far back do you want to go? You remember Thomas I'm trying, Yurko? I'm trying to be a little bit happy this episode. Brad's ruining it. You're both ruining it. Yeah, we are both ruining it. I said it. there was reasons for optimism with Doucette. That is. Red Wings news. Uh, again, we're excited for to see how these next two games go because no matter what, uh, which way you cut it, uh, there's going to be a positive outcome. Either the Red Wings are winning games or their Islanders pick and their own pick is better. Okay, let's get into today's uh, prospect profile. Uh, last episode, we talked about a prospect that was named in our good friend Max Baltman of the Athletic Detroit's uh, mock draft. And this one, we'll talk about the second player that he named in that mock draft with the uh, hypothetical Islanders pick. So we'll continue to link the articles to that mock draft. We encourage you to uh, give it a read. Uh, Max's work is always excellent uh, in the description of this episode. But let's talk about none other than Dmitry Simashev, uh, left-handed defenseman and one uh, out of uh, Russia, 
out of Yaroslavl. I'm saying that wrong. Six foot four, so you know, familiar to the Red Wings. But what do you make of Simashev? First of all, I'll get this out of the way, but because it's not a super important talking point, but I don't want to make it. Max, I love you, but please, I'm. I really hope the Red Wings don't draft a left-handed defenseman <laughs> with their two first-round picks. <laughs> I'm sure as Max was typing that, he could see your face like melting. If there's someone talented enough to make the reach, of course, I don't think Simashev is that guy, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, oh, oh my God, we need scoring and right-handed shooting defenseman. But either way, uh, Simashev, for me with him, my biggest compliment of him is also my biggest criticism of him. So you can take that whichever way you want. He is pretty good at everything. He is amazing at nothing. Like he, he's that jack of all trades, master of none, pretty good skater, probably above average, uh, can definitely move the puck has decent enough handles to, you know, do what he needs to do with it. Not a ton of offense, but there are those indications that there could be something more there. It, he just hasn't unlocked it. So you're, if you pick Simashev in the first round, you're hoping there's a bit of a Moritz Sider syndrome there where it's like, okay, he has it. We just haven't seen it because of reasons X, Y, or Z. Um, now, those reasons aren't as apparent as they were with Sider's situation going into the draft. Otherwise, he'd be going top five. So keep that in mind. And keep in mind, the Mo Sider, you know, just unlocking the offense after the draft is a very rare scenario. So even though it's possible with defensemen, you never, ever bank on it. That all being said, it it could happen with Simashev. That be So if the Red Wings had a need for a left-handed defenseman, I could see it. And I understand the appeal of a six foot four defenseman who can kind of do all, everything pretty well. Um, he's not there for me, at least not this high in the first round with, to the point where the Red Wings are getting them with either of their first round picks. Um, but yeah, but I definitely understand the appeal. Max made a point in his uh, article that I want to call out, which is that if any of the Red Wings prospects that are currently, you know, listed as left-handed shooting defensemen can successfully be right-handed or uh, right-side D-men at the pro level in the AHL and NHL, then that, it doesn't make it so painful to draft a left-handed defenseman. But we don't know that yet. You don't know that yet, of course. I agree with your assessment. I I have a lot more watching to do on Simashev, um, and I don't know whether that's because I'm uh, I'm undecided. I do agree that he doesn't stand out in any single area to the point where I'm excited about a mid-round pick. Is it crazy to say that if you're looking at Simashev as your best possible option around where you're picking, like that's what you're projecting based on what you think the, the teams around you are going to do, I'd rather just use draft capital to try to trade up. Easier said than done. I know I'm saying simply get a better player, but... I would either want to go for a guy who is higher risk, higher reward with the second first round pick or try to move up to guarantee that you can get someone just a little bit better, even if you have to pay a premium. You need to try to go for game breakers and you really do need to try to, to fill in that scoring gap. I don't think this draft is shaping down, shaping up to the point where that's going to be possible. Like if the Islanders pick Rinse, in, repeat every NHL draft. Yeah, yeah. If you're picking around 20 in this particular draft, there's still going to be some very enticing options there to the point where I don't think you need to panic. I, I almost had the opposite thought. If you get around to the Islanders pick and Simashev is like the most quote unquote tantalizing product prospect there, I'd be, I'd be calling around for a trade back. Just 
just let's get some extra capital, maybe get an extra second round pick and take another uninspiring prospect. And that's not to say Simashev's a bad prospect. The Red Wings are so desperately at the point of, like you said, they need to swing. They don't need more middle pairing defensemen. They don't need more third line forwards. You know, historically speaking, if you're talking draft value, if you're picking at like pick 20 and you get a number four defenseman, you're doing pretty good. Like if he's an everyday regular and he's a legit good number four defenseman or like a third line forward, you're happy with that pick. I think that mentality from a value standpoint holds up, but from a team building standpoint, I think the Red Wings need to throw that right the hell out the window. They don't need NHL players with these picks. They need they need top end guys. They need to swing for the possibility. I, I think Simashev is a very good bet to be an effective everyday NHL player. That is definitely not what the Red Wings need right now. They need to take a, off the top of my head, I don't know what other prospects will fall around that area. We've already done a profile on so I'll bring him up. I would rather take an Andrew Crystal there. I think Simashev's oh. a way better bet to make the NHL. So when people are radioing me in five years when Andrew Crystal's playing in the NHL and Simashev's like a number three, four defenseman on the Islanders or whatever, I understand the risk that comes with that, but that's, not what they need. That is so not what the Red Wings need right now. This is when you have two first round picks and it's the second first round pick, the perfect time to gamble. And then you factor in all the circumstance around the Red Wings roster prospect system right now. Yeah. who Who's the highest upside there? Risks be damned. Yeah, he's certainly an interesting prospect. Like, I think his defensive game is actually very, very good. And that's probably why he played in the KHL. Like for someone to do that, seventeen. I mean, he didn't produce anything at the at that level, but he's buried on a good team. Um, and I can see, I can totally understand why some people are super high on him, and some people are a little bit more cautiously optimistic about him um, in this draft and as an NHL player. Um, but I, yeah, like for the if we're talking specifically about the Red Wings. They don't need a left shooting, left-handed shooting defenseman. See where I'm landing on this is, it's not my preference, and I don't disagree with what you said. But there's the I always try to counteract it by, whenever I feel certain about something in the draft, I'm like, oh, now I know I'm going down the wrong path because drafts are just such a crapshoot. So I'm looking at the other side of the coin here by saying, if this guy's a could project as a solid three-four defenseman, like it's a little plain Jane, it's a little bit of like a vanilla cone when you thought you were getting a whole DQ blizzard. But, you know, that's the kind of meat and potatoes that a solid and consistently winning team is built on. Yes, looking at the the pipeline right now, they have a, a lot to sort out on the left side and not enough to work with on the right side. But prospect pools change and they change in a flash and you don't know what's going to happen. And I know that I'm saying you Eisenman's going to wave a wand and things are going to look different, but you just don't know what's going to happen. So if they do go with a Simashev, I'm not upset. I look at him and I he doesn't raise flags for me like some other prospects in the past where you're like, no, under no circumstance do I want this guy because I think he's a dud or I think he's just big and that's why he excelled in the past. He comes in for me, like you said, Evan, I think his his tools are pretty impressive. He's not flashy in any single way. And I wonder if, and I'm very, very, very guilty of this if it's true, I wonder if we're not looking at the top of this draft, the potential generational talent at the top, all the fantastic picks that are, are going to come after, 
the small gap, and then the Red Wings' first of their two first-round picks. I wonder if we're not trying to make something out of nothing. We're trying to make Detroit's own version of a, a home run on this in this draft when it just might not be there. They might have to go for the plain Jane meat and potatoes, especially with their second of their two first-round picks. Because I mean, it, if they took Will Smith and Simashev with oh, their first two picks, I wouldn't thrilled. be upset at all. Yeah, I mean, that's because they got Will Smith, but, you know, it might be, you know, Danielson Simashev. You you joked before the podcast, Brad. Like that that could be it. That could be it. That would leave me a little uninspired. But uh, that, that's what I'm saying. But like the I, thing is, I'm not saying like you don't have to settle for a Simashev. Like I understand this draft because there's two things at play here. One, the per, you're right about the perception of this draft is going to probably put expectations on the Islanders' pick a little higher than they should be because it's like, oh, it's such a good draft. We're going to get a tenth overall value at pick twenty, which just isn't true. At least not likely. You could, but yeah, not likely. Not likely. It'll be equally as unlikely in every other draft. But there's enough options there. You don't have to settle for the quote-unquote safe pick. Because I, what I think is happening in this draft is kind of the inverse, where there's such a lack of high-end defensemen in this draft that the pretty good ones are getting elevated because of positional premium. Like, is... Is Simashev really a first-round pick in this draft? Maybe, maybe not. But if this was in previous drafts, I don't think he's getting quite the attention he is now because people are just like, well, I can't have my first-round mock be 26 forwards, right? And I think there's a little bit of that going on. So, again, I don't hate him as a player. I like him as a player. I, I just think, again, specific to the Red Wings. Because I think as a late first-round pick, he's perfectly justifiable. Not a guy I would pick, but perfectly justifiable. But the Red Wings specifically. Wallman's locked up for a bunch more years. Mata signed an extension. Edvinson's going to be around for a while. Um, Johansson's coming up. Wallander's coming up. Even if Wallander ends up on the right side, that's still four left-handed D, not factoring in if you have any faith in McIsaac, Sabrango, Vero jumping up. And I, to be clear, I don't think that level of prospect is good enough to justify not picking a left-handed defenseman if he's there. Mm-hmm. But um, you don't know if Wallander's going to the right side. You don't know if Johansson's going to the right side. Uh, you know Edvinson's not. You know Wallman's not. And And even beyond positional need, Red Wings need top end players. They need to swing. They need to identify of all if take the first 19 or so picks out of the draft, who is the most talented player left on the board? Position be damned, ideally not left defense, but position be damned, pick that guy. So because you're saying Andrew Crystal with the second pick then? Possibly. Yeah. Very possible. Again, his talented includes skating, Ryan. Oh, okay. So I I factor that into my decision because you know, there's a, a million players. There's a Braden Jaeger slip because of, you know, concerns or something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, pick, you could probably pick a half dozen guys off the USNTDP who might fit into that category. You know, does um, Gabe Perot make some sense there? Which I think for Detroit actually would make a lot of sense. And I think he will be available in that range. So not that I don't like Simashev and I don't want anybody coming away thinking that. I just, I really don't like him as the Red Wings pick. I like the player, despite not being anything special. There is absolute value in good 
all-around middle six defenseman, which is what I think he's going to be. Lots of value in that, especially in that range in the draft. Again, I just don't think that's what the Red Wings should be looking for here. So equal parts a prospect profile in Dmitry Simashev, but also a philosophical discussion on what decision the Red Wings are going to have to make, especially with a you know, mid to, to late mid first-round pick that will be the second of their two uh, from the Islanders. So, yeah, I think it's ultimately I do agree with both of you. I'm, you know, playing devil's advocate a little bit. I think it's good to have that thought exercise, but my thinking aligns with what you mentioned, Brad. Loath though I am to say it, I, I think you're right in that I would like to see the Red Wings swing some more, but we'll see how it shakes out. Maybe, uh, maybe Florida, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, they all do Detroit a favor and they move that Islanders pick up. So Jaeger looks a little bit more likely or, or someone like that. So, yeah, how. Depressing is it knowing that Florida, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh wins right now are super valuable, and the Red Wings' next two freaking games, while they're on a heater, is the Sabres and the Penguins. Do you know how much I'm sick of this scenario? Well, if I know anything about laws of averages, that means uh, we're bound to return to it, so... Yeah. I, maybe I just, there's some other laws that I think are going to trump that, which is the ones that make us sad. Yeah. I am so sick of these year-end scenarios. I hate this so much. It's because every team fighting for a wild card spot right now is that gif of the elephant stumbling and flipping over down into a kiddie pool and accidentally landing where they where they were aiming in the first place while looking like complete fools doing so. They're all just tripping over their own feet. Like they're all in, in collapsing in the worst ways. The difference between the bonafide playoff teams and the wild card playoff teams in the East is so freaking funny. Like how is Pittsburgh in their goaltending? one of the likely front runners for an Eastern uh, wildcard spot. The only thing that's saving them right now is one of those two teams is going to play Carolina and they have no left wingers left at all. It's going to be like one of these teams is going to trip and fall in the playoffs and take whomever they play in the first round of seven games. Like it's going to be just something dumb like that because that's how hockey works. You ever seen that gif of the kid falling down the slide just in a comical fashion and then ends up in the pool? Same thing as the elephant gif. And it just comes up and says, in yep that is the eastern playoff race right that's 100 what it is yeah anyways that is the draft that's a small commentary on the eastern uh wildcard playoff race so we'll see how that all shakes out uh some more nhl news that that broke legitimately as we were about to record so we're working with the information that we have right now and i want to qualify this by saying we are not the experts on this craig morgan uh who does excellent coverage out in Phoenix at Craig S Morgan on Twitter, um, writes for gophoenix.com. That's the, your go-to here. And I am absolutely following Craig Morgan and his, uh, his updates on, on what's happening in Phoenix or sorry, Arizona and potentially Tempe. So in general, what's happened is this, the coyotes and the development firm that they're working with have launched a $2.3 billion lawsuit against the city of Phoenix. This suit is reportedly for damages caused by Phoenix's legal filing on March 27th for a breach of contract, which is, quote, asking the court to rescind Tempe's recent zoning and land use changes and prohibit future residential uses in an area that the FAA says is incompatible with residential development. Now, trying not to get too much of this wrong or fuzzy, but I think the gist of it is the Coyotes are trying to build this brand new development that they've been hoping to get approved. I think there's a referendum next month. In the city of Tempe, the neighboring city of Phoenix gave them assurances in the past that they wouldn't cause a stink based on uh, basically flight paths from a nearby airport and the noise pollution and whether or not residential 
uh, buildings which be part of the development can be built there, et cetera. They gave him assurances that they wouldn't file any kind of claims or, or cause a disruption on that front. Reportedly, according to, to you know the Coyotes and their development firm, this is what Phoenix, the city of Phoenix actually ended up doing. And their allegation is that this isn't actually about flight paths because they have already you know, worked in mitigating factors and there are other uh, buildings that have been given exemptions in the past. It's that Phoenix wants to keep their downtown sports complex monopoly. The Suns play there and uh, what's it called? The walk, the talking stick arena right now. Uh, downtown Phoenix is where sports live right now in Arizona and they don't want a competing uh, a complex in neighboring Tempe. So it's all a messy situation. And at its like presentation, I understand the response to say, oh God, the, the Coyotes, what another screw up. Like this team can't get it. They're clapping right. back at the city. I love it. I, I think this is messy, but this is this is what they have to do, right? Oh, yeah. I don't even know who's right and who's wrong here. Like, this is he said, she said, and you have to take everything with a big fat grain of salt. But if if what they're alleging is even one quarter true, then, yeah, you have to protect your development and the future of your team. Like, this is, they're not Billions building. of dollars are at stake, and moving a team is at stake, really. Like, the future of the Arizona Coyotes really sort of hinge on this development going through. Like if it doesn't, they're the Houston Coyotes. Uh, absolutely. And I understand uh, if this was like Tempe, like the city of Tempe filing this complaint, then the Coyotes are dead in the water. Yeah. Oh, they, then you're screwed. They just spent an era fighting Glendale, which is where their arena is, like was. But no, this is this is a neighboring city. If exerting its bureaucratic sort of muscle over the coyotes is yeah. what it seems like to me. Yeah. If that's what's true, then yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, and honestly, if the May referendum goes through and the, the, the people who this would affect give this its approval and I'm all for the democratic process and asking the people what they want and they give it its approval and the mitigating factors for whatever flight paths, whatever, that's all actually worked into the 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 land and the zoning and they can develop it as they've planned it. And it is going to come with, a, I think, a 30-year non-relocation agreement, maybe 20, 20 or 30-year non-relocation I'm agreement. I'm still not convinced. Yeah. That's still not long enough. <laughs> yeah, contracts can all be broken. Then, like, you can see the Coyotes are – they're looking at the finish line. It is, in my mind, the last possible straw. Like, if this development doesn't get approved, then – That's it. That's it. But – this to me, it's not, I don't think it's fair to categorize this as, oh, the Coyotes have screwed this up again. They wouldn't let the guys in the locker room have pizza during a playoff game at intermission. This is this is an external factor trying to mess up their plans. Well, it's basically the city of Phoenix reneging on their deal to say, yeah, we're not going to cause a stink about this. Yeah. And now they are. So good on Arizona and their their team or development team, whatever the heck they're called, to, you know, move this to litigation like that's what you got to do and i'm looking at you because i can sense brad's sullen <laughs> grumpy face next to me <laughs> find something that brad loves talking about more than the the continued struggle to keep the coyotes in arizona yeah my friend wrote the bar so i'm basically a lawyer that's right my friend's friend wrote the bar uh, there you go <laughs> hit us brad what do you have no yeah you know that's fair we don't actually want to hear from you on this one I don't know. I, I've kind of changed my tune on the Coyotes. Like, they're so close. It's, to me, it's a good sign that they're willing to, you know, go up against this, the city of Phoenix on this and not just roll over and say, well, we tried. 
there's there's no way around this. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see how this all shakes out. The only real winners are the lawyers. Oh, you're absolutely right. They're making almost Evan money at this point. We're yeah. in the wrong business. Me too. <laughs> uh, we, the, the one thing I will say positive about the situation is this doesn't change my view of this situation in any matter for the better or worse. Well, the, yeah. That's, I mean, a, that's a win the, in your book. At the end of the day, they'd still be in Arizona. <laughs> Which is the fundamental problem. If story is about Phoenix or uh, the Coyotes, and sentiment when walking away is neutral, that qualifies as a win. Yeah. Think of the last time you heard a story about the Coyotes, and it wasn't, oh, my God, what are they doing over there? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a whole week since we had one of those. (laughs) Yeah, wow. (laughs) Regardless, like I said, it's developing. I'm sure more is going to come to light. I don't know who's, by all legal rights, correct and incorrect here, Um but I just kind of wanted to put a little bit of cold water on, yeah, yeah the, the, the Coyotes messed this one up. They have a lot of problems that they have to sort out organizationally and otherwise. But uh, this, this to me felt... And legally. That's right. All the pillars are covered right now. <laughs> it's not dull over there. No. And uh, according to you, it's a great place to golf, so... Oh, that's why they never make the playoffs. All right. Shall we get into overtime? Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is probably brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, everything we do on the show, including Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA and our support for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, is almost completely supported and funded by our Patreon supporters. Anytime we can improve the show or do anything to make it better, it's, it's because of our patrons. Uh, they get great benefits such as access to our uh, Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord community. They're entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, We've given away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, and the vast majority of them have gone to Patreon supporters. Uh, And they get access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes, which record right after these, which are a romp. They're a good time. They're a little ridiculous. They're more fun than we have on the show, but um, there's a reason we (laughs) those ones are locked away. Uh, But they're they're a good time if you want to hear us hang out, have some more fun. Patreon.com slash Podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. Jonathan Melwish says, Hi, gents. As the free agent pool is not going as strong this year, do you see the Wings going or doing more offseason trades with the draft capital we have or just use it to move up and down the draft board? Oh, man. I don't know because the free agent list is uninspiring, but as of now, so is the trade market unless there's a name we just don't have any clue about that could be on the market. Again, the Red Wings aren't in a position to be trading for, you know, middle six guys, middle pairing guys. They need top, top line talent. And that's just not out there in any capacity right now. And I, I know that's a gloomy answer because the, uh, the follow-up question is how do the Red Wings fix that problem? And my answer right now is I don't know. I'm. I'm looking long and hard. I've mentioned it before, and I, I think it was probably a month or two ago, but I'm looking long and hard at what Winnipeg's going to do this offseason because I think that's where some things could shake loose. Norris Sider says, are there any Ole Mata slash Jake Wallman type sneaky good free agents out there that you guys would like to see Steve Eisman pursue this offseason? Not to their talent level, but I think there's a couple defensemen out there who fit direct needs. Um for the Red Wings, I don't think any of them are particularly exceptional. Like I've talked about Radko Gudas would be a perfect fit for where the Red Wings are at right now. They need a right shot defenseman. They need to get meaner, tougher. 
Um, he checks all those boxes without being an absolute liability. In a different free agent pool, I'd say Damon Severson, but he's just going to be, I don't, I don't think he's like a depth name by any means, but I think if this was like a really strong free agency pool, you might be able to get him for cheaper, but he's going to be the guy who's going to be priced through the roof because there's not a lot of competition with him in my mind. Remember when the Red Wings signed Mike Green? That's right. And they almost got a first round pick for him like seven times. <laughs> one time he literally broke his neck before the trade deadline. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. In a hypothetical world, this is from Give Wallman the Heart. In a hypothetical world where the NHL, if the NHL were to rig the draft lottery, who would they give Bedard to? Oh, that's good. Because my immediate thought goes to Vancouver, but I don't think the NHL would want him on the West Coast. You know the answer to this one. There's there's one of two answers, which I think it would be. I don't think it's as obvious as you think it might be. Uh, hold on. I'm I just have looking. two answers. Okay. I know Chicago's the answer here, which yeah. pisses me off. So I want to get another answer. When Chicago is good, the dollars pile up fast. Underrated one that I don't think people would give enough credit to looking at this. East Coast market, big market, rabid fan base. Red Wings? Philly. Philly. Yeah. Philly, Philly he'd really save the franchise. He'd turn it around. I, they're He's not. In, that's a great location for TV market, for direct impact because it's right near the Rangers, Islanders, Devils, Bruins. It's going to pull in from a lot of other big markets. Gives competition to those teams. A lot of huge rivalries could yep. be born for that. Again, I, I wish no success to the Flyers, but if we're talking what's best for the NHL, I think Philly would be very high on that list. I will say the other answer besides Chicago that I had in mind, although I agree Philly is a sneaky good one, is Montreal. I just think, like, yes, there are the answers like, uh, you know, Columbus or San Jose or Arizona even, but I just think the NHL... Well, Arizona solves a couple problems. Yeah, they do. Arizona was mine because if Gary, you know, wants to work in his selfish best interest and in saving his... Uh, his battle, keeping a team in Arizona, that would be the one for me. But Arizona's the one that solves the most problems, but Philly and Chicago make the most money. Yeah. Yes. And I, re- I think they already have McDavid in a not Eastern time zone, and I think they'll want, if they could control it, they would put, put Bedard in an Eastern time zone. Coyote season tickets in Tempe says, it's my opinion today, as it was in 2020, that it was a mistake to take Willinder over Paterka. I think by this time next year, it's possible that opinion could change. Does the Winged Wheel podcast crew share my opinions of 2020 and today? And do they think their opinions, whatever those might be, will change by the end of the 23-24 season? I actually took Willinder in a mock draft, but I will say I thought Paterka would have gone. Like, I was higher on Paterka, but I, I didn't mind Willinder at all. Um, and I don't disagree that things could still flip. Oh, I really hope they flip. Uh, Paterka had a good rookie season in the NHL. Um, did, you know smash any walls down offensively. Um, I know I was higher on Paterka going into the draft. So, yeah, I mean, a gigantic offensive defenseman would definitely have more value than a third-line forward. So the setting is here for Willinder to be the more valuable player, but I don't think we're there yet because Paterka is already doing what he's doing in the NHL. Okay, question from Join the Dark Sider. It says, hey, gents, uh, haven't uh, posted in a while. A few weeks ago, I went to the Wings at Preds game. Was NHL Arena 15 for me? That's awesome. Goal is to hit all 32 eventually. Prioritize Arizona because then they're going to have a different one. 
to, should, the, does he have to go twice then? Well, yeah, maybe if it's an area, yeah. both of the arenas are in Arizona. We don't know yet. With that being said, how many NHL arenas have you each been to outside of the Joe or LCA? What's been the best? What's been the worst? For me, the best was the Bell Center and worst, believe it or not, was Ball Arena in Denver. Sure, nice sight lines, but the concourse sucked. Inside question, I've been to Gila, Gila River and Glendale a few years ago. Do I have to go to Mullet now? Yeah, you do. I think you do. Just because it's cool as hell. Stay fresh cheese bags. I Okay, I've been to the Bell Center in Montreal, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, and now Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. I've been to whatever the hell the Sabres Arena is called now. UB. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's changed. The name of that arena has changed like nine times in my lifetime. Um, and I've been to Madison Square Garden. I want to do MSG. I Me really too. just I, don't do what I did. Propose? It was a Tuesday night game. Again. <laughs> one one wife is enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, I can't do another wedding planning. I'm already no. dying on this one. It was a Tuesday night game against Nashville. That was mm. uh, not one of the more inspired inspired crowds I've ever seen in my life. I've done obviously the Joe and the LCA. Um, I've been to the Bell Center not during a game, and that's it. I came close when we were in Florida. Uh, the Red Wings were actually playing just down the road, and uh, we had the option of going, but we also had really, really, really great dinner reservations. Understandable. And they lost the game anyways, so I was happy we chose to keep our dinner reservations. Buffalo has a sneaky nice arena. Yeah, I really liked their arena. I I mean, we sat like sixteen seats rows up, and they were like, cost me twenty five bucks a ticket. <laughs> um, but yeah, like huge concourse. The only thing that sucks is everybody goes down those elevators at the end. Yeah. So it's not that was a big oversight. Um, Scotia Bank, so Toronto's arena is a dump. I hate that place. That, that place was bottom sucks. of my list. I wouldn't call it a dump. That's a dump. But <laughs> two things. It's a you hear that, Steve? It's, it's a dump. dump. It's an absolute pain in the ass to get to the arena because you're either paying like $50 literally for parking or you're parked a mile away. And let me tell you, walking through Toronto near Lake Ontario in the middle of winter. Sucks. Not oh pleasant. Yeah. Um, and yeah, inside the arena, the atmosphere is not great, but I know Toronto's had that rep forever. Concourse is tight. It reminds me yeah. of the Joe, but like doesn't have that like rustic charm. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the Bell Center. I, I was a little spoiled because the game I was at was near the end, if not the very last game of the regular season, and it had like massive playoff implications for Montreal and it was against Toronto. So like it was it was a crazy, crazy atmosphere. But uh yeah, and even around the arena was super cool. So uh the Rangers was the most boring, but that was my fault because of the game I picked. Buffalo, I've every time I've went, I've had a great time. Uh, every time I've went to Toronto for a non-Wings game has been boring as hell. And yeah, the Bell Center was crazy. Nick Boyd says, hey gang, hopefully not too late, but how far do you think this Red Wings team can realistically get as they are today with only their current prospect pool? In other words, uh, trades and free agent signings are now illegal for the foreseeable future. Does our organization as it stands get us back to the promised land? Thanks and go Wings. So if everybody pans out and everything goes as well, Second round of the playoffs, maybe conference finals if Huso goes on a heater. Playoff, like let's say, yeah, Casper turns into a top six center. The wingers all turn out. Uh, whoever but they there's draft. not that many wingers. Like that's where, yeah, they're not going to have a top line forward because if Mazer and Casper both pan out to exactly what you want or realistically what they could be. You still have Larkin and Raymond on your top line, Casper and Mazer on your second line. 
The one, the one sort of wild card there for me is Bichelnikov. Yeah. yeah that's... What, what would be his like home run swing? Like, is he like a 40 goal guy? Like I have no idea. Yeah. And Mazer is a guy who we'll talk about uh, next episode as well. He made his AHL debut. Uh, so that's something that we have to cover. Uh, and more on that to come. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they could, they'll get into the playoffs. They could make some noise if the team is playing together really well. I could see them being a dangerous team. We've seen this team be, you know, better than the sum of their parts, but it's hard to say for sure anything more than that because there aren't really game breakers. Yeah, the, the top end talent's just not there to compete with the big boys. I think if you look at a lot of the playoff teams right now, like the two wild cards in the East, um, maybe even. Boston on the downswing, uh, the Devils, even that's getting hard to say, but like the teams that aren't super top heavy, the Red Wings can de- definitely go punch per punch depth wise. And I think they're actually really close to doing that now. Um, so having, you know, a fully established uh, Willinder, Casper, Mazer, Edvinson will go a real, real long way into making those playoff series maybe tip in the Red Wings favor. But when they get up against the Tampa's and you know even the Carolinas right now I and the Rangers I have a real hard time seeing the Red Wings winning those series with what they have well we'll talk after July and then maybe that's a good question to to have again all right uh last question here is from Sean Trainer, and it is Evan what's on your phone right now most likely, I'll be laying up all four days. Dustin Johnson on the new 13th hole at Augusta. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I want you I want you to know that I saved that question until uh, uh, Evan picked up his phone, but thank you for that. <laughs> all right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, we are so, so excited to see all of you on Saturday. Uh, those of you who are coming to Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA, and even if you're not coming to the post-game event, come say hi at the concourse. If you're a ticket holder, you should be getting an email sometime tomorrow from the Red Wings, so keep an eye out for that. We'll have more information. For now, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, our name-level sponsors, uh, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Bertuzzi is straight-up missing, Nick Perks, Icon, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Yuki, uh, Yuka Nighttorp, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, 10 Years of Fanatics, Babe Landeskog, Carl Brutanen and Aluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, Detroit Rob, DJ Denton, Fanatics Sucks, Give Blood Fight, Probert, Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Matt Penzine, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciates About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Ben Baird, noted Philip Zadina Whisperer, and Alex Nadelkovich Truther, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, C.J. Wilkinson, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Forever and Always Bertuzzi's Lost Tooth, Frank Stanley, George's Biggest Fan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Angles, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, O. Ophelia, Reed, 
the Prophet of the Towering Chungus, Stephen, Tatarsas, the Hodag, and Hunter. Thank you all so very much, and we'll talk to you on Sunday. Or actually, we'll see you Saturday first. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.